0: Welcome to the Orchard Hill Church podcast. It's our third week in our series called Life Without Lack. As we're sitting in Psalm 23 and learning about what it means for God to be our shepherd, Uh, this week we're in verse 3, and it's just been such a fun conversation in our community. We'd love for you to connect with us on social, through Instagram or Facebook, or at our website, ohohio.com. You can find out all about what's happening in our community speaking of on july 30th we have our next orchard hill 101 class it's a place where you can hear about our mission and vision and what it means for uh, you to jump in and plug into what is happening in and through our church Uh, so if you want to register for that head over to the website we hope you enjoy this third sermon in our series life without lack Let's welcome him to speak through his words of life in Psalm 23 to us. It says, The Lord is my shepherd. I have all that I need. He lets me rest in green meadows, he leads me beside peaceful streams. He renews my strength, he guides me along right paths, bringing honor to his name. Even when I walk through the darkest valley, I will not be afraid. The word of the Lord. So I want to start off today with a question. When is the last time, oh wait, I always forget our fourth and fifth graders. I'm the worst. If you are in our fourth and fifth grade class, you were about to have to put up with my preaching. I'm so sorry. You can follow Adam. If you have a fourth or fifth grader, they are welcome to join him for class uh, with our fourth and fifth grade group. Uh, man, they were about to have to go through it. I'm kidding. So I wanna ask you my opening question today, it's very simple, when is the last time you found yourself completely out of breath? I just want you to stop and think, when is the last time that you found yourself completely out of breath? For me, it was Tuesday. At the gracious extension of an invitation by uh, to some of my friends here and a neighbor of mine, I found myself at our local YMCA in a high-impact intensity class um, or hit class. Now, uh, I I knew what it was, but I still was not ready. Uh, I don't know if you've ever been in a situation where you realize very quickly that you're in over your head, but when we got there and they were like, hey, for our warm-up, we're going to go outside and run a mile on the track just to get going. And like, I was already like, "Ah, and I'm done. Like, I am... (laughs) So, you know, like a a quarter of a mile in, I'm already like, I got that, that stitch in the side of me. And by the time I'm back in the room doing the sets of things that we're doing, just waiting for the teacher to show up to get to the real work, I find myself just grabbing my knees and being like, Oh Jesus, what are we doing? Jesus come quickly. Um, but it was a lot of fun. We had a blast at the class. Uh, let's just say on Wednesday, I wished I didn't have legs. But, uh, but as we start off today, uh, we're starting off in uh, Psalm 23, verse 3. Uh, if you've been with us, um, we've been talking about the Lord as our shepherd and how uh, really the whole Psalm 23 starts with this idea of who God is. If you don't understand who God is, What God's like, you don't understand this Psalm. You read that idea, the Lord is my shepherd, I have all that I need. You're already like, wait, wait, what? How did we get here? Because until you understand that God is good and self-sustaining and all-sufficient, you realize that out of the overflow of who he is, he takes care of his own. Uh, It's a beautiful, beautiful picture. Uh, I was reading a commentary this week. They were talking about all of Psalm 23 is really like... It's couched in the people of God thinking about the Exodus, about God's deliverance of of Israel from slavery and bringing them into the land of promise, which in the Old Testament, like that is the story that shapes everything, is that God found us in our slavery and God showed up And in power, he delivers his people. And whether it was through plagues or through the Red Sea, they see God's might. And then he doesn't just show off his might by destroying their enemies. He leads them by pillar of cloud, by pillar of fire. He provides for them in the manna. It is God who shepherds them and leads them from where they are to where they have been promised to be. And how this entire Psalm is really just like a deep reflection on how God does this to his people. Last week, Christy preached out of verse two, how he leads us, he lets us rest near green pastures and still waters. How God, in his provision, removes our need to compete with everyone else for what we need and gives us a peace that he is the shepherd who will will bring us to the places where we get what we need. Um, Today, we want to keep going because verse three is tied to this image, both of the Exodus, but also of of the idea of God leading us to the places where we need to be. Uh, And it's important for us to remember about the Exodus, like the Exodus story is both about events and about processes. Like in the Christian faith, if you are a follower of Jesus, you're gonna have events where you meet with God in mighty ways and you're gonna have processes that you're a part of that are part of you being changed to be more like Jesus. Uh, what's funny is American Christianity loves events and hates processes. Like we we love like the hilltop experiences. But when we're like, hey, we're gonna enter into like a five-year journey of refining your soul and your spirit, you're like, whoa, that's, that's a lot. It's like me at this class on Tuesday night. Like, man, if I could do a class and I come out and I'm in like in great shape, I'm, not, I'm not no longer clutching my knees and gasping for breath and I'm fully good to go. Give me a night of that, let's do it, whatever it takes. But you tell me it's gonna take a year of changing my diet and my exercise. And, oh, man, I really like donuts though. <laughs> <laughs> we love events, we hate processes. But transformation, the, the walk of of all of us are called to follow christ it's a combination of those things we have these moments like israel did at the red sea where god parts the waters and they wake it through and their enemies are crushed and we also have the you wake up you pick the manna off the ground it's enough for today because he's good so as we talk about this we have to talk about both and so in verse 3 he starts off basically by saying he restores my strength. Now the word strength there, the Hebrew for it is nefesh. It's a complex word because it means a number of things, including like your breath. He restores your breath. It's the word for life. Like when God in Genesis, when, gen, when in Genesis, when God breathes into humanity, he breathes into them life. He literally like nepheshes them. He, he like brings life into them. So the idea of your life, your soul, your strength are all kind of tied together in this word. God in his infinite goodness, it says that he restores our breath. He restores our strength. The idea is that there's a life that you're intended to have that you don't have. And the beautiful thing about God being our shepherd is that he brings that life into us. One of the ways that he shepherds us is he breathes life to us. One of the things that we have to recognize when we read this is that you are in need of restoring. You need to be restored. And that is a uh, reality that I will say in our culture, we get a lot of pushback by. Even some of the songs that we sang today, like we sang two, two of the three songs we sang today mentioned the word sinner. And a lot of people don't like that word anymore. Um, But we have to recognize that when it comes to a holy and good God, and then me, there's a huge gap that I can't fill in and of myself. Like the gospel is that when we were dead in our sins, that God Himself, through Jesus Christ, steps in and He brings us to life, that He restores His people. And that means, in some ways, one of the first things we have to do in order to experience God as the one who restores our strength, our breath, our life is we have to recognize that we need restoring. There's a verse in Jeremiah 2. As the prophet is speaking to Israel on behalf of God, God says to his people, He says, For my people have done two evil things. They've abandoned me, the fountain of living water, and they've dug for themselves cracked cisterns that can hold no water at all. As God addresses his people there, he is reminding them through a different metaphor, not a breath metaphor, but a water metaphor. That God is the source of life, the source of everything that they need. And one of the ways that we very practically refuse to be restored is by turning to things that actually can't give us life. We do it all the time. I was watching with my kids, if you have kids and they are Netflix people, like my kids are, um, one of the things that they love is the Bear Grylls, choose your own adventure type thing. I don't know if you've seen this. You like go and Bear grills like drops into a place that's like, you know, and the whole goal is for him to survive. But the kids can actually make a choice like, hey, are you going to go uh, up the mountain this direction and find, try to find a cave for shelter? Or are you going to go down the hill? But like my favorite choices are the ones that they have to make about food. You see this picture of him with his grub and he's always basically trying to find some form of nourishment to survive the time period. And there's never, it's never a good choice, right? It's like, hey, you can eat this worm or that we can squeeze this root of this thing that'll be incredibly bitter, but it might give us just enough uh, sugar to sustain us for another four hours. You're like, who wants to have these choices? Let's, you can eat the snake egg or you can like squeeze the scorpion tail and try to get, you know, you're just like, why don't you ever run into chickens? <laughs> or an apple tree or like, like, I'm just like, where are they dropping you? Why are you dropping there? Don't do that. Bear Grylls is always trying to make these choices between um, really horrible things. When God looks at his people, he's like, one of the sins that you commit, like one of the evils that you do, is you're constantly turning to things that were never meant to nourish you as if they will give you life. You're constantly turning to things. He doesn't even say they hold nasty water. He says they're broken and they don't hold water at all. Like they, you have a fountain of life and you keep turning to these other things. I was laughing about this thinking about like even our students who went to camp. I, lo- I love, I believe in camp ministry. I worked in camp ministry all through college and even afterwards. Um, one of the things I love about it is that students go to camp and they come back and they're like, mind is blown because Jesus is like real and they've encountered it. It's like Adam said, you know, the students were just like, I don't want to do this at all and by like the fourth day, they're just like, sign me up. I want to work here when I grow up. Give me, I tattoo it on my face. Camp's the best. Like whatever, they're just like sold. But one of the things that's remarkable is I'm just like, you know what? When you do all of the things you do at camp, you should feel alive because you've literally detached yourself from all the distractions. You're praying, you're in the word, you're in fellowship. You're focusing your life on hearing from and responding to God. If you did that for a week, you'd feel alive, right? A matter of fact, if you think about most of the mountaintop experiences you've had with God, whether they were an event or even if it was a season where things were really dark and dim, but God was near and close, it's because the feeding of your soul by making room to listen and respond to God that you were doing that regularly. I guarantee you in this room, 100%. Every time where you felt close to God, it's because you've been turning to God to nourish you in a way that nothing else can and in the Psalm, when God says, I will restore your soul, he's really saying, like, I've made you to live. Like, you're not meant to go through life bare grillsing this to spiritually be alive. Basically, like, I'm just going to try to find the most minuscule thing of nourishment through the most bitter and awful things possible. I was, I was reflecting on this question, like, are we okay with barely making it? Because God is not. Are we okay with just barely making it by? About squeezing the nourishment out of every little thing as if God is not our shepherd. I love the invitation to come to God that we hear in the prophet Isaiah. In Isaiah 55, he says, is anyone thirsty? Come and drink. Even if you have no money, come Take your choice of wine or milk. It's all free. This question, why spend your money on food that does not give you strength? The NIV says on food that does not satisfy. Why pay for food that does you no good? Listen to me and you will eat what is good. You will enjoy the finest food. Come to me with your ears wide open. Listen and you will find life. I'll make an everlasting covenant with you. I'll give you all of the unfailing love I promised to David. This remarkable thing where God's just like, why are you chasing after life in places that don't give it when you have a good shepherd? Come. Like, why spend your life chasing what doesn't satisfy as if it will? This idea of where he's like, I'm going to give you all the unfailing love I promised to David. In the the mind of the people of God in the Old Testament, David was like the icon, right? He was the one, if God was going to be faithful to anyone, it was King David. And he's like, I'm going to give you the same faithfulness I would give to David. If you will just come and listen. And that connection between listening and finding life is key. Because God is always speaking words of life to us. It's why we literally start every service. When we get to the word, we say, only you have the words of life, echoing the disciples to Jesus himself. His words give life and they satisfy and nothing else will. C.S. Lewis in The Way of Glory put it this way. He said, it would seem that our Lord finds our desires not too strong, but too weak. We are half-hearted creatures fooling about with drink and sex and ambition when infinite joy is offered to us. Like an ignorant child who wants to go on making mud pies in a slum because he cannot imagine what is meant by the offer of a holiday at sea. We are far too easily pleased. I think that's one of the things as we read this Psalm that we have to recognize in ourselves that if we are not careful, we will settle rather than welcoming God to be our shepherd in a way that restores us. We will put it on us to make sure that we are nourished and strong rather than welcoming him to lead us to green pasture, to lead us beside still water, to restore our soul When he says he restores my strength, the promise of being restored means we have to recognize when we're just settling for mud pies. When we're settling for the grubs that we can dig out of the ground to possibly get a little bit of protein. When God is welcoming us to the feast of life, he's welcoming us to himself. Later in that verse, it says, he guides me along right paths, bringing honor to his name. If you grew up memorizing like the King James or the, the NIV, you probably hear that he he guides me, uh, into righteousness. But the idea there is that there's right living. There's walking in a way that God intends that actually gives us life. And this is where that idea of not just an event, but a process becomes really big. That restoring your soul is both something that you do when you encounter God, but it's also a process you have to enter into. Just like you don't eat on Sunday and then not eat for the rest of the week. If you do, I mean, some of you might be like into fasting that way. Fantastic, more power to you. Fasting's amazing. But most of us try to eat two to three square meals a day <laughs> because nourishment, because restoration, because keeping our bodies functioning the way they do this requires us to regularly, habitually. Come to God for what we need. And so God guides us in the path of right living because right living does something for us. And some of this means forsaking things that don't give us life, yes. But I think you can actually forsake a lot of bad things and still not pick up the things you need to live. Like there's lots of people out there. If you were to think of, I think of some of the Christian checklists that I grew up around. You know, you don't smoke or drink or chew or do. There are people who, who live that way, but who are not turning to Jesus for life. And one of the dangers that we can fall into is we can think, well, I'm, I'm not doing the bad things. So. But God doesn't want you to just not do bad things. He wants to be your shepherd. Like he doesn't want you to just refrain from evil. He wants to lead you into righteousness. He wants to lead you into a path that not only restores you, but brings honor to his name that allows the world around you to see his goodness because you are experiencing his goodness in real time. You are a person who is being transformed and changed both in the mountaintop moments, but also because you have not left the process of walking with Jesus. When Jesus tells his disciples in Matthew 11, he says, Come to me, all you who are weary and carry heavy burdens, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you. Let me teach you, because I'm humble and gentle at heart, and you'll find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy to bear, and the burden I give you is light. When I was 16, I came to faith. In part because God showed himself to me through this verse. I was at a point where I was depressed, I was suicidal, I lost a lot of things in my life. And I remember opening my Bible in a seemingly random way, and this passage showed up, and I read this, and my first impulse was bull. It's probably more explicit than that. I was like, there's no way. but I could feel the weight of my burdens. And I remember letting God have it with all of my opinions and all my thoughts, all my struggles, of all the reasons that he's not been good, he's not been whatever. But I came to a point where I read this verse again and I was like, God, if this is true, I'll give you my whole life. And I immediately fell asleep. Like, I fell like the rest that he said he would get I just fell asleep. I slept until the next day. I literally woke up in my bed with a Bible next to me. If it would have been here, I would have drooled on it and I woke up and I realized something that when you not only want restoration but you're willing to follow him in the path, that's the break that's the point where we not We don't just get the perks of Jesus, but we begin to walk with Jesus and that's where our souls are restored. That's where we begin to experience a life that's lighter, that's full of rest, that isn't toil for the sake of nothing. The image that Jesus pulls from uh, being yoked is the image of an ox. If you are like me and are not a farmer and have never been around oxen, I had to learn this lesson. So if, if you know this, great. Um, but one of the cool things about oxen, you never just put two fresh oxen and yoke them together and let them loose in a field because they'll just like go crazy. They're like, the lines will be everywhere. They don't know what they're doing. When you get a young ox, what you do is you yoke it to an older ox that's done the job before. The older ox is stronger. The only ox is more experienced. And that young ox will try to go too fast or too slow or to the left or the right. And that old ox just steady at the pace you need to go so that young ox can learn the rhythms of the job, learn the rhythms of life that it needs to not just get the job done, but to survive it and to thrive. This is the image that Jesus uses when he says, come to me and learn of me for my yoke is easy. The beautiful thing about God as our shepherd is that Jesus himself invites us to be yoked to him. Like to be shoulder to shoulder with him. And guess what? He's stronger. He's wiser. He knows the path. Hebrews says he's the pioneer. He's walked the faithful road in a way none of us ever have. So if we want to walk a faithful road, if we want to walk in righteous ways, if we want to walk the path that leads to life and restoration and wholeness, we're going to learn it shoulder to shoulder with Jesus. And if we're willing to walk shoulder to shoulder with him, we're not going to go too fast or too slow. We're going to find ourselves in a place where step-by-step with Jesus we're not only doing what we're made to do, but our souls are alive. His life becomes our very life. His invitation is, let me teach you. Like, you don't have to figure out how to follow me. Just bring your shoulder next to mine and walk with me. I'll be your shepherd. I'll be the one who will teach you. I'll be the one who will guide you. Quit trying to figure this out. All it's doing is leading you to broken things that don't feed you and an exhausted, burdened life. Come to me. Learn of me. Yoke yourself to me. And that's the beauty of the psalm. Is it's calling the people to remember who God is because if you are willing to let him lead you, he will if you are willing to let him breathe his life into you and restore your soul, and the place we do that is through a place of yieldedness, of saying, God, I actually believe your path will bring me to life, and so I'm willing to walk it with you. And that's the question I want to leave you with as we begin to reflect. Do you believe that his path will lead you into what you really need? Do you believe... Walking shoulder to shoulder with Jesus will actually get you what you need. Or is it just one suggestion among many? Is it a good idea among other ideas? Jesus is constantly calling his people to wake up and say, guys, every other thing that you think is bringing you life, it's empty. The costs are too high and the nourishment is too low. I can restore your soul. I can breathe life into you. Do you really think his path will lead you that way? If you do, the invitation is to yield yourself and to start walking in, to join him even in this moment. He renews my strength. He guides me along right paths, bringing honor to his name. And he does this because he is good. And out of his goodness and love, it shows you and the world that there is a life in the kingdom that's worth it. So just a minute, we're gonna, we're gonna have our prayer time. We usually do a prayer time before our sermon, but I saved it for now. Uh, we follow a simple pattern of prayer. And I think I put it in there. If we have a pad we can put on just to, you know, a little mood music would be nice. I don't wanna put on my guitar. <laughs> but um, we're gonna spend a little bit of time praying and just thinking about what's it mean for God to be my shepherd. What's it mean for me to uh, walk his path, to welcome him to restore my soul? And I'll just say this. If the Holy Spirit is meeting you in this moment, stop and listen. Because remember, there's a tie between listening and living that we have to make room for.